It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday, it's one o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And we are here to talk to some awesome people about talent and to find out what makes them tick and what makes them uniquely talented. And I have two wonderful women on the show today and really excited uh, to hear what they have to say and to kind of pick their brains about what they're thinking about this year around talent and inside their companies and, and, and those people that they work with and coach and, and you know really develop on a daily basis. So you know I've had the privilege of meeting just so many spectacular and inspiring leaders at conferences and through LinkedIn and through the talks that I give. You know, the show is really designed to give you, the listener, the opportunity to, to listen in to those topics that I would have probably asked them about, you know, at the corner of the room after a talk or maybe uh, at the bar or, or wherever, if I would have gotten a few moments with them, but I've asked them a few things that might have interested me that maybe might interest you as well. So, I had so many wonderful stories that have come out of this that I put them in my first book, uh, which turned out to be a bestseller called The Power of Company Culture. If you'd like to check it out, look on Amazon or wherever you buy your books online, you should be able to find it. Look up my name or the book and would love to know what you think. Talent Talk, as I said, is every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And most of you, though, although we get a good number of you coming in live, most of you download us on iTunes or iHeart or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast from. So our biggest audience is actually kind of listening after the fact, which is cool too. There's over 10,000 of you a day downloading one or more of our shows. And just a big thank you to everyone who's a part of that, uh, whether you listen live or come in later on as the podcast. One of the fun things that we've added and been doing over the last couple of years, and now my social media maven, Sarah, has taken over this duty, is we live tweet during the show. So we you know, if you can be a part of it, uh, love for you to go to at people G2. You can even follow the hashtag talent talk and just sort of watch, you know, the, the best one liners, the best bits of advice. We put links to books and the, and the guests profiles and their companies. So if you want to interact with us more or the guests more, it's really easy to do. You just follow at people G2 and you can find all of that as it's comes comes through. And even if it's after the fact, don't worry. If you go there, all that stuff is still there, and especially if you kind of look for that person's name and the, and the hashtag. All right, so uh, I've kind of teased you with, uh, we have two wonderful women on the show today, and let me get to them. Uh, my guest today will include Aldine Simmons, uh, the HR manager uh, and life business coach, and um, also we'll bring in Beck Power, and she's the founder of Power Creative. Uh, Beck and I met uh, a few times, or most recently in Croatia, uh, where we were both speaking at a conference, and I uh, look forward to bringing her in after the commercial break. But let's go ahead and bring in my first guest. Aldine, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure, Chris. What's important for us to know about you? 
Sure. Well, um, I'm an HR professional, have always been in HR. One of the few professionals I've come across who have said their careers have always been um, in HR. Uh, what's so special is really the approach that I take. I really see HR as a holistic you know, function, not just plugging in on hiring or firing, but really being a supportive, um, strategic and agile business partner for the business. So for the last 10 to 11 years, I've been supporting businesses uh, in the HR space, helping them be successful. You know, it's so important because we have so many people that listen to the show that are in HR or uh, sort of help those people inside of HR. So yeah, things have really changed since even just from when I started the radio show as to how HR has been viewed and their role and the types of things that they're taking on to really help companies. In fact, the best companies really seem to be bringing HR into much different conversations outside sure. of the tactical compliance type things like the hiring and firing, as you mentioned. So maybe okay. we can kind of look at this in a very broad sense. And, and, and I can ask you, you know, in your mind, what does HR really bring to the table, you know, here in this day and age? Well, I can say from a, I mean, again, from the HR perspective, I think in this day and age, we really need to be a more holistic function to the business. Um, before there was a tiny little box that HR sat in, and that was kind of what people expected from us. But as the world of work has evolved, has, as businesses have evolved, I think it's very important now um, in this day and age for HR to really be a business partner. So very similar to how finance is heavily integrated in the business, operations is integral to the business, I think HR is the heartbeat. So we help um, create synergy with all the other departments, but we also impact all the other departments. So really changing our mindset from being a transactional function to more of an essential business partner to the business is really where I see HR striving and and moving towards in the the future. So why do you think so many companies are maybe resistant or haven't quite evolved to having HR as a part of that strategic planning? Well, I, I want to say one of the quickest things I've heard people come back with whenever I ask them that question, you know, is, um, you know, HR, HR doesn't do that. Like, they don't know how to do that, or that's not a function of HR. And that's partly HR professionals' fault, I think, for a lot of, um, in a lot of the instances, we haven't seized the moment um, to take that opportunity to step up and say, okay, here are some other ways that we can support. And I think that's changing now, as I think more HR professionals are getting their feet wet uh, in other areas of the business. Um, And I think another reason why they're reluctant too is because HR doesn't always know the business. I can't tell you how many um, HR professionals I've spoken to and they don't know what their company really does. They understand what they're supposed to be doing as an HR person, but they don't know what the business really does. So I find it's very difficult for businesses to trust or to build someone in as a partner or function in as a partner if they're unsure of what it is that they're not really sure that their business part, their HR partner knows their business and is able to support their business. I find once, especially working in the SME space, a small to medium sized company space, I have a better conversation with um, business owners, with the senior leadership team, once you're able to demonstrate that you not only understand what HR does, but you also understand what their business does. And I think that's a very, very key um, piece to bring to the table when you're talking about really transforming the the function of HR out of the transactional nature into a more strategic. Sure. And, you know, one of the, sort of the old adages that HR, I think, has been fighting for a long time is that they're, they're a cost, right? They're a cost center. Mm-hmm. They're not, we tend to sometimes as CEOs to look at one department as they bring us more money and another one costs us money. 
uh, which certainly is a very shallow way to look at it and, and not very accurate. Sure. But what can HR professionals then do to really show their value, right, to provide more value to businesses? Well, I like to say, you know, to the contrary, HR is a profit center because if we're able to you know, demonstrate an ROI, I see whenever you bring talent into the business as an investment, right? So every time the HR function undertakes recruitment or, you know, talent acquisition, whatever fancy term we want to call it, whenever we bring um, talent into the business, I see that as an investment. The business is spending money to hopefully get um, a return on that investment. And one of the ways that we do that in HR is that we ensure that that talent is aligned for the business. We're ensuring that we're not overspending. So there are various things that we can do from an HR perspective to make sure that we are not a cost center we're actually a profit center, making sure that we're good stewards um, of the budgets that were allocated um, is another great way for us to, you know, demonstrate that we're not just a cost center, but we can actually, you know, generate a profit to some extent too, because if we're able to identify opportunities um, that the company can leverage, I think that's a really great way for, for HR professionals to continue to demonstrate that they're capable of what they do, but also able to look out for the business's interest as well. Right. I think if you think, if I kind of look back at the few thousand, maybe more, maybe close to 10,000 HR generalists, right? Just, I mean, there, there is a, a, a very distinct, you can kind of put them into a, a, a category, not all, but I mean, they tend to be women. Uh, they tend to mm-hmm. be fairly young. They tend to be, there, there tends to be, if you make a very broad stroke generalization about what an HR generalist and who they are, right? Um, that they tend to fall into one or maybe two categories. Um, and so I wonder, do those types of people, do people in, in the average HR job, the average HR profession, are they able to go in and challenge the status quo? Do they have the tools and do they have the capabilities and do they even have the access to do that? And what advice might you give them? Or is this something that you really kind of put on the shoulders of a more senior HR person, which you know I think runs the gamut. There isn't really a profile there. Um, how do you sort of see that? Well, I think your, your question is kind of two parts. So for I've, I've done the generalist role for several years, and especially when it is a standalone role, which often it is um, when you're in a, in a small to medium-sized uh, company, it is very difficult for you to get a seat at the table, um, especially when you're junior. So you've got several things working against you. You're junior, uh, you're a generalist, so you're thought to be able to do a little bit of everything but not really specialized in anything. And the the third piece is that people don't see any business value other than the transactional value oftentimes that you bring to the table. So I think for that person, um, I would say it's very important for you to demonstrate if that's what you want to do, how you bring value. And I always encourage people to look for quick wins. So some quick wins that you can have, you know, are championing um, internal projects that have probably never really had the right support to see them through. Uh, Doing what a good friend of mine, Matt Burns, calls HR hygiene, which is those basic HR compliance functions that every company needs to get done. Really do what needs to be done day to day and do it well. Do it so well that if you are not there or if it is missed, people actually recognize that something has happened. So I find whenever um, I have that question being asked or, you know, whether I mentor someone, I say, listen, it doesn't matter where you are in your career. If you're that, you know, broad stroke generalist, it's important for you to demonstrate that you can do what you do really well. And at that point, you have a platform to then advocate for what else you can do well. 
And I found that has worked for me in my career, where I've been able to champion initiatives or to do what needs to be done really well, where people have to go, oh my goodness, okay, now now's the opportunity for her to get an opportunity to do something else. On the more senior side, um, in my experience, I found that the people who really advance to be strategic business partners or to really get to that next level in their career are really the people who, you know, take charge. I've, I've been fortunate to have a lot of great mentors in my career, and one of the the advice that has been pretty much across the board is that no one will give you a chance. You have to create that opportunity for yourself. So, you know, going back to the coaching from being that generalist, it's really identifying how can I add business, uh, add value to my business, for example. So it's looking at, do I know what my company does? Do I understand how HR can support what that company does? And how can I continue to demonstrate to the senior leadership team and the other people that I support that I'm able to support them um, to achieve these business goals? And I find once you're able to, you know, create credibility with one or two or with your senior leadership team, it, it has ripple effects, right? Once you're able to demonstrate that you're able to do uh, a task or you're able to take on an initiative or you're able to advocate for something and have it, you know, pretty much fall in line as you have planned or proposed it to, you start to get a little bit more attention and that's where the opportunity is created for you to really make the difference. Yeah, and those are all fantastic points that I hope those that are listening are really uh, paying attention to, even writing down. From a CEO's perspective, uh, when I've given maybe similar advice to, to those types of people, I've often just said, you need to ask. I mean, you know, a lot of times it's really easy for executives just to make the assumption that that person is happy in their role and doing what they were brought in to do and don't have the aspirations to challenge the status quo or to get eventually to, to work their way up to that that seat or to be in that position to I- impact things. Sure. So. It's a matter of articulating that. You may not be in a position that day, but that's if the right. leadership knows that's where you want to end up, it's easier for them to help yep. you get to that point and to think about you in that way uh, over a period of time instead of making an assumption that you just want to be a generalist or just want to do that and, and right. handle that thing, right? And the other um, the other thing I'd probably say there too, Chris, is that sometimes you need to talk about, not just ask, but also talk about um, you know, what you would like to do. Right, because not mm-hmm. I've I've been in businesses where, as a generalist, you don't get a review. You know, you advocate for employees to get reviews, and you advocate for, you know, performance management. But oftentimes, you don't get one. Right. So sometimes there isn't that opportunity for you to say, you know, here are my wins. You know, here are the things that I would like to do, uh, or even have that opportunity to just ask. So me. So what I've also suggested to people is to talk about it. So when you're at the water cooler or, you know, you're sitting down for lunch or, you know, you're in a meeting and you're, you're cracking a joke or there's an anecdote, talk about something positive that you've done or talk about a change that you've initiated or talk about something that was going sideways but you were able to bring it back on track because sometimes it's dropping those little conversations um, and those little wins, um, you know, for people. It really helps them understand, wait a minute, I didn't even realize that, you know, it was you behind this or, you know, it was because of this effort why we are here. So I would say that's another another great yeah. thing for people to do. Sometimes people get wrapped around uh, this sort of issue where they think they need to have this fantastic idea uh, or or the knowledge around the project to, to really steer it in some of the direction. And that's not where their training and their education or their experiences have been. And 
I often will challenge them that it's not about knowing the answer. It's about sort of redirecting or challenging the group in the right way to get them to help them think about things in a, in a different way or a better way and help them find maybe a better alternative or solution to whatever it is. Because often HR sort of gets asked to help, you know, someone along the road said, we're going to go do this. And they say, great, here, this team, go do that. And HR support them in getting that done. So HR's job is just to go help support them, get it done. Not in, should that even be done? Should that even be, is that even the right answer uh, or the right project for everybody? And so Often it's asking the right questions. We, we're not worrying about that you don't know the answer. It's what else could we do? Okay. What, you know, if we didn't do this, what else might we consider? You know, and and poking at that a little bit. Uh, sometimes it just helps people articulate we are on the right track. And sometimes they might say, well, you know, we could do this other thing, and you might then just be bringing value because you helped push them to somewhere else where they weren't automatically going to go. And, and, that's, and so that's a not you know, people, good point there, Chris. That way they don't have to worry about being, the, you know, knowing everything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We're like, don't forget it. But no, for sure. And I think that's where the coach approach um, for HR comes from as well. And, um, you know, even as we talk about skill sets that I would say, you know, every HR professional um, who's looking to, to step into that next level needs to have. And I would say that coaching needs to happen. Um, and being able to ask those, like you were mentioning, those pivotal questions. Because a lot of times we're caught supporting you know, institutions that have already been proven to fail or, you know, do not reflect the innovative culture or the innovative company um, persona that we portray and really having that insight um, to not, like you said, you know, necessarily do the task, but to challenge and ask the right questions at the right time and enable people, you know, to ask those questions and to to action the answers that come back uh, really speak to that, um, you know, coach approach that HR needs to take on in this day and age. Well, what are some of the big HR challenges, positive or negative, that you've been facing recently with, you know, the companies and clients that uh, you work with? Well, I'd probably say two of the biggest challenges. One would be really understanding the amount of value that HR can bring to the organization. Oftentimes, it you, you walk into a very traditional approach um, to HR, and it's really helping people understand that you know you are able to do more than that, um, and that is why you know some companies are successful and others aren't. You know, when they're able to leverage more of their HR professional. So I find I'm still even in 2020 having to have those conversations less but still having them the second biggest challenge I would say is really on the leadership development side so helping leaders understand um, what they do have and what they need what their gaps are a lot of the clients that I've worked with and the company that I currently work with it's really not so much um, like you, like you mentioned before, fixing all the problems, but it's supporting all the pieces, empowering all the pieces to work together to really achieve the company objectives. So working with leaders from a coaching perspective, helping you know, implement and develop development programs and employee engagement initiatives that will help people moving towards um, the company goal. That's been, I would say, the second challenge to helping explain to people um, how far HR can support the business. So I'm hosting a big webinar next week on the 29th on the future of work. And so I've been asking my guests so far this year, 
What are you seeing as the future for your work? I mean, more specifically, what are you seeing for the next five to 10 years inside of HR? How will that change or not change? And what are you sort of imagining that might look like? Well, I would probably say um, the the future of HR is leveraging technology and being more agile. So I've either, I've either had scenarios where people say, oh, you know, we're going to have chatbots and AI and VR and all these cool stuff, or I've heard people going, mm, they can never get technology to replace, you know, an actual person interacting with another person in HR. Uh, and I challenge it saying, I think they will be both. They will both exist, but not in the ways that we see them. So I would say in the next five to to 10 years, um, HR will evolve um, or needs to evolve to an agile function where we're leveraging the various technologies for different businesses, whether it's machine learning, whether it's uh, virtual reality, um, but also, um, you know, taking on a more human approach uh, with, as we mentioned before, with the coaching aspect, the mentorship um, component, and really helping, you know, leaders understand and navigate, um, you know, various employee relations issues that your technology probably will not be able to assist with, but then leveraging the technology to, to assist with things that it can. So improve, improving employee experience, improving you know candidate experience for this recruiting. So I really see um, next five to 10 years, I think the big shift will be more agile HR and leveraging technology. And one of the things I've been worried about is, you know, someone going to try to build a tool to like basically talk to employees, like it's a robot talking to or AI talking to an employee you know, who mm-hmm. might complain and say, geez, I'm upset with my job. And then, you know, it's, it's sort of built to be like, I'm sorry to hear that. Like, it's just a fake person having a conversation <laughs> with someone, which, you know, sounds could on the surface sound good that, hey, you're, you're at least someone you're getting those employees needs met and someone's able to address their problem. But the problem is no one, if no one, a human being doesn't actually know there's a problem, they can't actually okay. help that person. That's and exactly so we right. have to really, I think, curate AI and curate our technologies in a way that is helping us be better and not replacing our, uh, maybe the, the sort of basic human parts of it, right? Definitely. So it will be interesting to see what happens over the next five to 10 years for sure. Oh, um, for sure. I'm looking forward to it too. And one of the things that we love to ask our guests is, what are you reading right now? And tell us about that book. Well, I'm reading uh, Exponential Organizations, and I started reading it when I was um, consulting with a lot of startups, and I've actually found it really, really helpful, even in larger companies. And the reason for that is that if you think about how fast technology is moving and how fast the, the workplace is moving, it really is every company eventually at some point hits a startup phase um, where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of unpredictability. So I've actually found a lot of pieces of this book um, applicable to helping you know boost HR in the different companies that I've worked with. And it's by uh, Slim Ismail, I believe is how his last name is pronounced. And it's a part of the Singularity University. So if you're an HR professional and you're thinking about, you know, taking a fresh approach or a new approach uh, to your HR um, operations, definitely recommend that um, exponential organization. Well, fantastic. Um, Most important question, and our final one of the... uh of the interview here is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you and, and your coaching business? For sure. Um, the easiest way probably would be to head over to my website at aldinest.com or on LinkedIn. Uh, you can search for Aldine Simmons Thorpe and all my contact information is there. Feel free to ask any questions or, you know, share your comments about the interview as well.
Really appreciate you being on the show today. We've uh, enjoyed the where we took the conversation and learned a lot. Hopefully, our listeners have learned something as well and can take your great insights back to their own jobs. So, love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the invite, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right, great. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break and come back with my second guest, Beck Power. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Aldine Simson, Sims, <laughs> Simmons. Excuse me. I always mess up someone's name at least once once per show. It's a, it's a requirement to continue. Anyways, uh, don't forget you can visit us, find the podcast on iTunes, iHeart, or uh, Stitcher, wherever you find your, your shows, or even go to talenttalkradio.com. You can hear her uh, interview on the one I'm about to do, probably in a week or two when we get it posted up there. Don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter right now, at PeopleG2. You can also use that hashtag Talent Talk. And we have all of the best one-liners, all the best advice, all the books, all the links, everything that's talked about flowing there freely on Twitter, just follow us there and be a part of the conversation. Love to get your comments, your thoughts. But uh, let me go ahead and bring in my next guest, who is Beck Power, founder of Power Creative. And uh, Beck, welcome to the show. Chris, what's up, mate? How's it going? Thanks for having good, me. Good, good. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. I know you're calling in from Toronto, you're, but you're not Canadian. You are a Kiwi calling in from Toronto and right. one of the only kind of true digital nomads that I know. But why don't you introduce everyone to yourself? What do you do? Who is Beck Power? What should everyone know for our talk today? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Beck from New Zealand, as you said, and uh, I am based here in Toronto, but I travel a lot uh, for a lot of different reasons. Mainly, I really enjoy speaking, and also sometimes I have to get out of Canada for these two reasons. It's been pretty good. I run a marketing agency, so I help people, mainly entrepreneurs, to get more visible, to get in front of their clients online um, and offline. So getting more speaking gigs, more podcasting opportunities, uh, that, that type of thing. And I also help them create really prolific content, which I think is we probably will cover in the next few minutes. Sure. It's me. Sure. And I, I know you do travel a lot. In fact, I think the last time we were in the same place together was Croatia, maybe. So it uh, certainly you do yeah. get around uh, more than I do, which is saying something. But maybe <laughs> let's just kind of start this off with is, you know, how can leaders increase their visibility on and offline? Because I think often they want to do it. They know it's important. They don't really know how to do it. They don't have time to do it. They don't maybe know mm-hmm. social and digital as well as they should. Uh, wh- wh- where, where should they mm-hmm. start? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of times when we run businesses, you know, you're, you're busy, right? You're doing all sorts of things. And to, to in order to take time to apply for gigs or to create content can be really hard. And I think 
one of the ways that I teach my clients to do it is to be prolific, right? To really um, batch things, first of all. Batching is the key. Create a whole bunch of content at once or apply for a whole bunch of gigs at once or at least if you're going to, you know, if you want to do it, get a, get a VA, you know, have a VA apply for a bunch of gigs for you at once. It takes a little bit to set up and you have to tell them what type of things you want to apply for. But I think being prolific is really the key because nowadays, you know, it used to be that someone needed to see something six times and then they might buy it. But now it's up to, you know, 22 times or something they need to see it. So they really need to see your face often. And um, so I think being prolific is the way to do that. And for anyone that maybe doesn't know the term VA, that is virtual assistant. I was recently reprimanded (laughs) and reminded many times to explain what acronyms mean because not everyone knows them. So that's a virtual assistant. And if you need one, I'm sure Beck can point you to one. I can too. They're great to have. Mm -hmm. But maybe what are some of the important skills and characteristics of a leader? So as you uh, sort of put these... um, these leaders into different situations. I guess maybe we should say you're going to have these different communities. You're going to put them out in these different areas. What are some of the the, Mm -hmm. characteristics or skills they should be thinking about first? Yeah, definitely. Listen, I think holding a space for people is is one of the biggest ones. Uh, People need to feel safe with you. And if you can hold a space for them to grow and to be, you know, to move into whatever the best best version of themselves is, then that's really, really important. Um, and the other one I would say is to be, maybe it's along the same lines, is to be their champion, right? So creating that space and then, you know, having them know that you're in their corner. Um, I think for me, that's really helped me grow my online communities and my friendships and my relationships. Yeah, that's really important. And, and so how do we develop those, though? I mean, you're, a lot of people are sort of starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. So how, what, what's your advice there? Yeah, definitely. I think um, a lot of times we wait until, or we think we're going to wait until we are famous or have a group or do all this different stuff. But it doesn't. It doesn't matter, you know, how many people you're you're doing this with. You can be that champion for one person. And so I think it really comes down to to practice. Uh, you know, it, using these skills and the relationships that you have, being a space for somebody, being you know, helping them to to become better. So really practice and starting it just with one by one you know and before you know it you got 10 people you got 20 people that are like wow you're really amazing you do this uh you, you know you run this business or you're this leader or whatever it is that you do people will see you as that person because you've been that for them individually and you're doing the unscalable right but you just keep doing it you just keep doing it one at a time for people and suddenly you turn around you have a community of hundreds yeah, absolutely. And it is that slow burn. I mean, uh, when I decided I wanted to start speaking on a regular basis, I went back and talked to like 25, 30 different, you know, very successful speakers. And they all gave me about the exact same advice, which was you have to just start at the bottom. I mean, you can't unless you're famous, mm-hmm. unless you are some, you know, celebrity or athlete or whatever, and you can bypass that process. Everybody else starts at the beginning mm-hmm. and you go speak to five people or 10 people in a room and you, you work on your craft and you get better at it. And then they refer you to people and you build that audience and you build that network. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to jump from speaking to five people to 5,000 people. You have to go from five, mm-hmm. you know, to 25 to maybe 50. And then you might get a gig of 500. And then if that goes well, you might. And it's like, Basically, every year, if you're doing a good job and working at it, the next year sort of is exponentially bigger. And they all gave me the same advice, and they were all totally right. And I tried every way I could to bypass mm-hmm. all of that, and it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> we all do. Right. We all, we all try. Do. It doesn't work. Yeah. 
And it's just something about building it and, and working at it. And so if you're willing to just, I mean, it's the same, I've heard bloggers say this too, right? They just start writing every day or some consistent mm-hmm. amount of, of words into their blog on a consistent basis. And they built the audience over a long period of time. It wasn't instant gratification, but they were able to do it and, and to do it well. And so, yeah, if people are looking to build a community, if they're looking to develop themselves as an authority or a speaker or whatever it is, sounds like, you know, you're there to help them create that content, create that vision, but they're going to have to do it over a period of time, right? Exactly. What do they need to really think about as they want to develop a community and tribe? I mean, I think you started to get into it about creating value for them, but mm-hmm. is there something deeper? Is there something, some, some larger things they really need to, to have flushed out in their own mind as they, as they start to, to, to go down this path? Yeah, I think that, you know, you've got to have a voice. You've got to have something to say. And that might be something, you know, along the lines of being a champion for somebody. I know when I started uh, one of my businesses, Queer Hustle, and my whole thing was well, there's not enough or there aren't enough resources for queer women in business. And I couldn't find hardly any when I started it a couple of years ago. And just with that, you know, my people started to get um, almost magnetized to me because I was doing a thing that I, you know, I saw a need for it and I was championing these women and trying to come up with, you know, businesses to help them or, you know, give them uh, resources at, at a discount or, you know, just really show that they mattered. And I think that that's really important. The other thing I would say is um, to have some something polarizing because if you're trying to please everybody, as you know, you don't please anybody and you end up with no customers or at least very few. So you really have to um, develop a strong voice and say something that's important so that people will be drawn to you. So if I were to, to summarize what you just said, I mean, I, I would re, kind of rephrase that as you need to have a niche and you need to be specialized. Mm-hmm. You need to be very, very, very pinpointed, very clear about what you want to talk about and who you are thinking about. And I have people all the time to ask me to have a call or go to a lunch and they want thinking about speaking or thinking about this type of thing. And they all want to go general. They all want to be everything to mm-hmm. everyone. You know, they want to be a leadership mm-hmm. speaker. They want a leadership coach or something. And it's like, no, I mean, you brought the great example of, the, of your of your group, Career Hustle. It's like, that's a very specific thing. Only certain people are going to qualify to even be mm-hmm. considered to be in that group that they can identify with however you have phrased that and created it. And that's not for everyone. I'm not getting in. <laughs> you're not, you're not, Sorry. that group is not for me, right? And it's, but it's for mm-hmm. other people and that's important in order for you to have your voice, to have your message, to have everything else. And, 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 exactly. and I, it's, it's like people kind of forget that or they think, well, there isn't going to be enough people. What, what do you say mm-hmm. when people kind of give you that feedback? There's not gonna be enough people for me to even talk to or service if I, if I get down that, that, to that small of a niche. It's really interesting people you're right people think that it's not going to there's not going to be enough or say you know some people will say no and that's okay it's okay to have people that don't suit you you know they aren't your people because there are so many people that our brains can't comprehend the number of people that are in our own city most of the time let alone the world you know so there's they're just it's almost, I don't know of a case when it's been so niche that you couldn't do anything. I mean, I work with queer women business owners, you know what I mean, who are like looking to, I do the market, you know, help them with marketing. And that's one of my businesses. And granted, you know, it hasn't, it's not going to take over the world. It is a very, very small niche, but, you know, it helped the 
it makes money, you know, it's a good business and it helps people and it does the job. So um, it, it, there's some businesses you, you might not become a millionaire from, but you know as well as I do, there's some crazy niches like cat costumes and doll costumes and things and people are making millions of dollars just from these tiny niches. So I think it's, you know, you should really never say that the, the audience isn't there because I think in every case I've seen it is. If the leaders or, or, or whoever is sort of thinking about doing something like this and they have picked their niche they've gotten i guess some sort of voice right some direction to point in what other strategies mm-hmm. should they be thinking about in order for them to get onto more stages and to get more i guess light sort of shined onto what they're doing yeah i think to get to get on more stages and be seen is really a matter of being prolific in applications and like you said you know my va applies for a hundred things a month for me um, and that's how I get on stages because guess what? If she wasn't, I wouldn't be on any. <laughs> so it's really about, you know, well, actually it's about three things. The strategy of getting on the stages. So making sure that you're aligned on the stages you're actually getting on. The thing that you're selling is the right thing that solves a problem for people, right? Getting in front of the right audience. And some people get in front of whoever just to do a speaking gig. Well, it's not going to help your business to grow. And and if you want to just be you know be seen and grow your brand awareness, maybe that will work. But you you know most times you've got to have a strategy of getting on the stage. The second part is action. You know, taking those those actions, and doing those applications, and really uh, being prolific about that. And the final part is leverage. So leveraging those gigs, those opportunities. A lot of times people will publish a picture of themselves on the stage or say, oh, I spoke at X Y Z event. Uh, last weekend, really grateful, really great. They get, you know, 30 likes or something on it. And then that's it. That's all they did. It's crazy to me. You should be taking your talk and breaking it into, you know, you should have your friends turn up and record it if you didn't have them record it, you know, break it into different videos. Use those videos on Instagram and LinkedIn and all sorts of things. Grab quotes out of the talk and use those on Twitter and make quote cards out of them. Put those on Instagram and Facebook. You know, there's all sorts of things you could be doing to be to leverage those talks and create, opportunities for yourself all over the internet you know you get clients you get more gigs sometimes you get more paid gigs i mean it's unlimited and i think people really that's the big thing that i um i think people waste a lot of the time so the other i guess part of this is there could be entrepreneurs out there that want to set themselves apart want to create a message or thing but maybe they don't want to be on stage maybe traveling around and, and doing talks is not the way that they want to get more visibility are there other mm. things they should be thinking about doing uh, to be more visible, uh, to create their brand that maybe isn't necessarily, you know, going and speaking on stages? Maybe they can't or don't want to do that. Not everyone mm-hmm. is crazy as us to want to get on a plane all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is what's what, sort of your advice there uh, around that? I mean, is it sort of a quality versus quantity thing or is it something else they should be thinking about? Um, you mean to set themselves apart or to be seen in other ways? If they don't want to choose speaking, what else can they be doing that, that might bring the same sort of attention or help them set themselves apart? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's there are different content voices, right? So, And people have different skills. You're right. Not everyone wants to be on a stage. And, and a lot of people don't even want to be on video, which is another option, right? Just being on video. You can be on video from anywhere. Um, you know, people can write blogs or articles or or record things and make, do podcasts and transcribe the podcast and make blogs or, you know, people have different, these different content voices, in-person, video, um, written and audio are probably the main four. But in terms of, 
being seen. I, I mean, I would say that social media is the most or the biggest way that you could put yourself out there. And now, like I said, you know, you have to be seen 20 times by your customer and, or your client and or be seen with authorities or things like that in order to build up enough trust that people will buy from you. So, again, with content, it's really about being prolific and putting out content every day, the type of content, not just, hey, this thing is for sale, buy it, but the type of content that brings people, magnetizes people to you, attracts people, the content that talks to them about, you know, how they actually feel, talking about your story, talking about what's happened to you and and having them identify with you in those ways. I think that's the real quality type of um, content and, and type of way to get in front of somebody regularly. Right. Absolutely. And now that we've sort of properly gotten into everything that you're doing, I want to kind of pick your brain a little bit and find out what you're thinking about. And one of the things that uh, kind of helps us do that is, what are you reading right now? I've got a slight obsession with money mindset type books lately. Yeah, I'm really interested in, you know, the beliefs and how that type of thing works. I'm reading The Art of Money. It's written by Barry Tesla. Tesla, as you would say in the state. Tesla. <laughs> Barry Tesla. And, yeah, The Art of Money is just an amazing book. It's really, um, I'm about halfway through it right now. And uh, it's really changed my thinking on, you know, how money occurs to us and how uh, what, how a relationship with it is. And I've read a lot of books about money, so it's not like I'm super new to this game. But there are a few things in here that I missed in other books. So it's a, it's becoming a really good one. Oh, fantastic. Well, you've mentioned a lot of great things here today. Uh, as a summary, if someone only paid attention for five minutes and only heard one thing, one of your one great thing that you said, what is it you hope that they would remember or take away from our conversation here today? Yeah, I think that to, I call it, I mean, and so does Grant Cardone, honestly, he calls it, you know, 10xing what you would do. I think, I think doing more is to get in front of people to uh, to be a leader nowadays you have to make more effort than you had to 10 years ago so it's really about figuring out a system where you can put more effort into or maybe not you'd put still more effort but you would want to get way more results so you'd want to be putting content out regularly whether that's getting on a stage whether it's doing social media but being everywhere to your clients is really important well, that's great advice, and I uh, want to make sure that we ask you our final question, which is super important. How can people find out more about you or get a hold of you if they want to work with you? Yeah, my website is beckpower.me, pretty much how it sounds. And uh, if you want some speaking, I don't know if I'm allowed to give away a gift on this thing. I didn't ask Sure, you. <laughs> go for it. You can but, do it, anything you want. All right, thanks, Chris. So if you want, I've actually got a page where you can get 300 speaking leads, so speaking and podcast leads, so you don't have to spend hours finding them on your own, and that is beckpower.me forward slash go, G-O. Well, that's super easy, and hopefully our listeners will take advantage of that. You'll have some uh, additional uh, uh, people to help. I uh, really appreciate you being on the show today, um, and you helped us out by coming on last minute for a guest who had a uh, a death in the family. So really appreciate you being on the show and uh, look forward to, uh, I think I'm actually going to see you tomorrow in Toronto as I'm uh, speaking up that way. So hopefully we can uh, uh, pick up the conversation from there. I'll see you then. Thank you, Chris. All right. Our next uh, live show will be January 28th. Our guest will be jo- uh, Johan. I'm not going to say this right. It's, I'm going to try my best, but Dawson's Lear. He's a TEDx keynote speaker in Belgium and Gary Turner 
an interpersonal catalyst and keynote speaker as well. I believe he's calling in from somewhere in Europe. So I think it's going to be a European affair next week. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 